Hello, this is Punar Givanj and welcome to What's Wrong With. Today, we're very excited to have Pilar Finuccio, the Executive Director of the Center for Urban Pedagogy, on our podcast. She was born to a big Cuban family in Miami, where her community design practice began at O, Miami Poetry Festival, designing projects imagined by people throughout Miami-Dade County to be created every April during National Poetry Month. She studied social design at the School of Visual Arts and previously worked at the Department of Small Business Services and Public Policy Lab. She has a personal bookmaking practice, gives presentations about mangoes to anyone who will listen, and loves to talk about Cup's work. She's excited to to talk to anyone with a passion and curiosity for the role of design in creating and sustaining more equitable cities and communities. Enjoy. Hello, everyone. Welcome to our podcast. Today, we have the absolute pleasure of speaking with Pilar Finuccio. She's the executive director of Center for Urban Pedagogy. I really like her, not to mention our names are very similar since she holds a special place in my heart. So welcome, Pilar. Thank you so much. I'm really pumped to be here. Uh, this is my first podcast. So uh, just breaking the ice with Sour Studio is really exciting. Thanks for inviting me. Yay, first of many, um, because more audiences need to hear more about you. And with that, I would love for you to share a little bit about your background and how you came to where you are today. Great. Uh, so I was born and raised in a to a big Cuban family in Miami, and I attribute a lot of like what I'm doing now to the work that I did in Miami. I feel like that's where my community design practice began with another nonprofit called uh, the O Miami Poetry Festival. They go by O Miami now, but when I was working for them. We designed projects that were imagined by the people of Miami-Dade County, um, and those projects would go on to be created um, during National Poetry Month in April, uh, where the prompt was very community-engaged design. It feels so resonant with what I do now, um, which is we ask people, like, what is on your minds? What are the issues you're organizing for? But in the poetry context, it was, what do you love about the city? What stories aren't being told? And how can we use poetry as like a vessel for doing that? So that was like my foray into asking communities what it is they wanted to see and then giving them the resources to make that real. And I was the designer who made a lot of the projects that would come through. So I got to work with people to say like, is this what you had in mind? Like what kind of resources or materials do you need to make your project work? Um, and it also gave me like a really great opportunity to like be in my city in ways that I hadn't been before. So I feel like I can trace so much of my community practice to those first few years in Miami. Um, and then from there, I was so curious about what it meant to work with communities in a sustainable way, whether that was the way we supported people's creative practices, but also like, let's be real, how you fund it. Because um, so many things that are important don't make money, but need money. So I was like, how do we do that differently? Uh, so I went to grad school to study social innovation at the School of Visual Arts, um, and from there, I got my, my first crack into the policy world by working at the Department of Small Business Services. Uh, shout out <laughs> to uh, Lauren, who hired me, because I also attribute that to like my first 
really like proper introduction into policy and like where communication had a role in that. Uh, so I designed, you know, workbooks while I was there. I kind of helped the team figure out how to communicate some of the tools they were making for small businesses. Um, and that really inspired me to then go on to work for um, my other friends now, Public Policy Lab. Shout out to Shanti Matthew and Chelsea um, for hiring me to be a fellow so that I could get some experience understanding service design uh, and how you could support communities specifically through government services and benefits to to access those needs differently. So I went from, you know, art community world in Miami to my social design practice to then policy. And when I put all of that together, it feels so natural for me to have ended up at Cup, <laughs> where it's a perfect combination of arts and design based community work with policy. And so I just, you know, I thank everyone for who gave me an opportunity to put these things together because CUP just ended up being the perfect place to apply all of those. Um, and I've been here for four years. For my first three years, I was a program manager, then senior program manager, working on our collaborations for community education and our design fellowship. Uh, and then as of just a few months ago, I was could we call it a promotion <laughs> appointed? I don't know what the right terms are, but to be executive director of this organization that I've had just so such a deep, deep privilege and honor to be a part of the past several years. So um, new, new beginnings now, same organization, different view. Um, and now my job is a little different. I, I still make some projects, but now I'm uh, in this unique position to figure out where this organization is going next and how we'll get there. Uh, so yeah, that's how I got here, which is really, I exciting. love that. <laughs> I love the, I like nothing is linear, right? Like I know it, it simultaneously feels so natural. And, you know, but when you look back, you're like, I couldn't have known I was doing those things, but now I can see like where my affinities were that kept putting me in places exactly. where I was like, oh, I will naturally start to collide these things together. And then of course, cup is a little bit of a strange bird in that it, you know, collide these two very particular things. And some people do. And I, so we have a lot of partners who do the same thing, but Cup just has done it in, as a graphic designer, like I come, like my undergrad was in graphic design. I'm like, oh, this is, this is odd for, you know, where people expected us to go to school. So I'm just, I'm like, oh, I'm so lucky to be here. <laughs> <laughs> so to give more context for anyone listening that is outside of New York too, what is Cup? What is its mission? Yes. What is Cup uh, so the Center for Urban Pedagogy, we go by CUP, um, is a arts and design nonprofit that uses um, visual, you know, the power of visuals to increase meaningful civic engagement, specifically in partnership with marginalized communities throughout the city and throughout the country, because we've had a couple collaborations outside of New York. Um, and we do that in two ways. We focus on communities who are currently organizing or advocating for better access to services, better access to benefits, um, who are trying to assert their rights across a wide range of social justice issues. Uh, and that can be housing, that can be immigration, healthcare, workers' rights. And so we support organizers and advocates to create visual materials that explain the policies that are affecting people in hopes that it supports communities to participate in the future of those policies the execution of those policies um, or, you know, long into the future, the like expansion of those, if it's in terms of offering more rights or offering more services. 
And then on the youth education side is similar, but has more to do with supporting young people to see their role in the future of the built environment and the cities that they live in. So we have these incredible teaching artists with a deep commitment to education, but also creative education who believe in social justice practices and the future of young people um, who work with them after school to choose a topic that they see is happening in their community um, or they're just curious about it. So that could look like police presence in high schools or you know, at the height of Black Lives Matter, we explored like what are the rights of protesters? Like what are we seeing is happening? And we'll set them up with interviews with elected officials, advocates, people in the community, um, their own families and friends to practice an interviewing research investigative process so they can learn for themselves. There are people I can access who have answers um, or opinions and can influence me piece together my own opinions about what's happening around me in hopes that that supports students to see that they can wield influence and what are the mechanisms for wielding that influence. Uh, so those are the two main ways that we get at our mission. Um, and in addition to that, we support designers to bring community engaged values into their practice, whether that's, you know, anti-oppression, um, trauma-informed facilitation, you know, decolonization and divestment principles. Um, and then we also support government workers to do the same um, when they're working on community-engaged projects or they're trying to do more community-engaged work. Uh, so we support uh, the field in those two ways too. Well, I mean, that's so empowering. I That's why I love CUP. I think the first time I was exposed to CUP when you all won the National Design Award and I listened oh, to cool. a session and it was so meaningful to listen to because like progress happens when there's both like top down and bottom up efforts right and top down obviously we know like uh, regulations legislation every, any policy that comes through like a uh, federal state or local government like that could really help us move forward but in the end that community empowerment piece and what happens while we're waiting or pushing for those policies right because we all know policy lags a little bit, right? Like it's really, or it could be yes. like reactive than proactive. Um, so in that sense, like what you're doing is really enabling that um, in in really like urban level. And I would love to hear some of the challenges you experience, both like maybe um, getting stakeholders on the same page in terms of like the need of some of the community engagement work or the execution of that community engagement work, like yeah. some of the challenges that you come across uh, when making things happen or like making the research happen, because we often know when there's an important project happening, the project, the work that needs to be done to get the project done is like this much. And then all the navigation to realize that work yes. is like, <laughs> like the triple the size. So tell me about those a little bit. Yeah, so I would say we probably experience the most challenges in the community education work where we're working directly with advocates and organizers and attorneys um, to create our materials. And some of the challenges are in nature of people's professions. Like, I can't say enough how, like, what a privilege it feels like to work with advocates and organizers because they are doing some of the hardest work, you know, I can imagine. I remember growing up being like, I'm not going to be an attorney. That sounds so hard. And I have such deep respect <laughs> for the attorneys I work with because they're 
they're holding so much nuance um, and they are some of the most just like informed, deeply caring people. Um, so one of the challenges is like we're working with people who are strapped, um, who are doing really critical work and who believe that we're also doing really critical work, but sometimes just engaging um, in our process because it is quite, it can be slow because it's intentional, not because, you know, we're trying to like take our time uh, for silly purposes, but we're trying to take our time so we can be intentional and thoughtful about who is participating and how we can reframe information. But I would say that's the first challenge. Um, the second challenge about engaging in our process sometimes isn't so much about like our advocates and organizers are usually coming to us because they know we do community engagement. Right. And they're bought into that. Sometimes the challenge is figuring out where is the community um, sometimes we work with folks who have a direct membership base and so access and trust, cause I think that's also, we can have access. It doesn't mean people want to talk to us. It doesn't mean it feels good to talk to us. And it doesn't mean that the power dynamics and talking to us have been like resolved or are malleable in a way that could actually create like an equitable, good feeling conversation. So we usually have to get creative with how we engage certain communities depending on the relationship our organizations have. Um, and I'd say the challenge there is we're asking people to talk about pretty hard things most of the time, either exploring past experiences with systems like incarceration, systems like a lack of healthcare, systems like a lack of housing. And so I think we experience the most intentionality and sensitivity when we're preparing for these conversations um, where we are going to really be able to experience the like honor of somebody telling us this is what's happened to me and this is a hard thing for me to talk about and I believe in talking about it because I think it will make this project for other people more effective and ideally more right. but it is a hard to imagine how we not hard to imagine. We are very sensitive and intentional about if someone is going to give us their story and then we're going to use that to make a stronger project for people with similar experiences. How are we going to bring that into our art direction? How are we going to bring that into our copy? How are we going to balance the power dynamics at play? Because elected officials are accountable for certain things. Community members can only wield so much influence at different levels of different systems. Right. That's often what our projects are fighting for. So our challenge is we got folks to talk to us in a meaningful way. They shared incredibly powerful stories and information about these systems and policies. Now, how can we balance everything we know goes into making change um, so that when we put this material together, the community is represented, but we haven't isolated um, mechanisms of power. We've created a better right. conversation, ideally. Um, so balancing that depending on the issue and the need of the project or the intended outcome of the project can can be quite difficult, um, especially as the advocates and organizers have their own experiences with what it's it's been like to make change. Uh, so yeah. that's where I find the deepest and most meaningful challenges. Um, but the buy-in, I have to say, most people are like stoked to engage people. They may never have, but they're very supportive of our guidance and whatever methods we've employed. It's it's usually the sensitivity about what we do with that information afterwards. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I love that. And I think you hit the nail on the head. Like I was, uh, you mentioned the challenges that are outside 
outside of the research work itself, and then also touched upon the um, critical challenge there and how to perform inclusive research, but also uh, use the outcomes of that research with uh, respect and dignity, and while also um, sharing that in an actionable way for stakeholders. And I definitely relate to what you're saying in terms of um, your like liaisons and counterparts and let's say on the um, funding side or the client, whatever we want to call that party, um, typically is already like on board, right? They're bought in, they want to do this. Um, it's kind of like the um, sharing and almost marketing and publicizing or making it actionable in throughout the other departments and stakeholders to make that meaningful change um, is where like things start to get lost, right? And I saw like something related to that, honestly, like yesterday, since it's like Climate Action Week and I was in a, at a panel discussion and the, the topic was like decarbonization and social impact, right? So I was like super stoked. I'm like, great, like things only sustain if they work for people and the planet, yeah, yeah. I on it, I'm gonna <laughs> listen to this. They know it, so let's listen. And then I'm there. I think I heard the word like community twice. And then I heard a comment like, we should listen more. Like kind of almost like a maybe, you know, like we're not doing enough. <laughs> and then uh, I was just like, I like, I didn't hear. I mean, I saw like there was like a big transition into like alternate energy efforts. And uh, obviously it's like, it, it involves farmers, but like, I, like there was nothing that I heard about the method of involvement the relationship building there, how it's treated, right? Like it's very, it, it, it had no backing to it. And it's almost like, you know, it's kind of like, how do you not have this like community work kind of siloed into like the charitable philanthropic thing, but yeah. see it as a huge insight and input into how to progress further and to help us reach our goals, whether that is in human rights or social justice or, you know, uh, climate change, whatever that might be, like where do that information fits in? And that, to your point, calls for that collective understanding um, and adoption of those uh, insights that you're generating. So how do we do that? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I I'm prepping for to speak at this conference and I've been trying to come up with like a, and it's also, it's also for, um, it's for students who are, you know, likely thinking about their practice and all of the ways in which we need to stack and cultivate, we can call it buy-in, we can call it values, we can call it principles. But when I think about everything, like, like I always think about uh, like a, this image of like lungs breathing, like uh, through throughout our projects, like when are we taking in oxygen? When are we releasing it? And like, what's the nature of that take in and take out? Cause it's like, okay, well also like, you know, we're all, we're all dealing with something heavy for, you know, talking about social systems and, you know, the well being and just general dignity of people. And so I'm always like, okay, what am I taking in? What am I taking out? And I think we're, all, when I come onto a project, I'm like, okay, who am I? Where are my principles at? Where's my power distribution at? What am I clinging to? What am I not clinging to? And then I go into my the room with my part our partners and we're like, hey, what are we clinging to? What are we not clinging to? What are we nervous about? What are we not nervous about? So that we can start to kind of negotiate with each other about like, where will we be scared? Where will we add a constraint? 
where will we find ourselves up against a limit? And sometimes it's not even our own limits. It's it's the assumption of a limit of another person reading this, or sometimes it's the actual experience. That's not even an assumption. Like I know I will reach a block here. And then we're like, okay, let's, let's breathe into that next layer of like, what are we anticipating there? And how can we influence that already? Do they want to see something ahead of time? Do they want to be part of the conversation? Do they want to know how they're going to be represented? You know, and then sometimes it's like we get to the community and you're like, damn, that was the fourth layer. Like that's too many layers deep. You know, by then we've already thought about so many other people's needs, our own, our budget, our partners. And that's all important because that's how change happens. Sometimes in our projects, we're just trying to say, okay, if we started with the community, and then we thought about ourselves and how we needed to change in order to be receptive to what they needed. And then how our advocates and partners needed to change to be receptive to what they needed. And then now the folks in power needed to be receptive. Sometimes I just have to remind myself that I'm, I'm going this way and then I need to go that way. And when is it appropriate to reverse the diagonal or, you know, cause, um, and I think we're all dealing with that, right? Whether it's a budget, it's a timeline, it's your supervisor, it's the neglect or affirmation of a policy. Like, I feel like we're always moving up and down that diagonal. Um, and obviously there's different strategies for, you know, moving up and down that diagonal. But I think we, I almost wish I could have like a toy that like showed those <laughs> like moving this way and moving that way. So we could, I always want visuals to like show me. And I'm like, there's probably a children's store somewhere with toys. I get at this exact concept and I could just hold it as some sort of meditative thing to be like, where are we in this? <laughs> like tilted diagonal of influence right. uh, and, you know, sensitivity and intentionality. But that's always the visual that comes to mind of just like, where am I in space right now? And do I need to tilt that? I love that. I've I lost love that. Um, You're almost like renting a simulation of like, this will be the flight trajectory. This is the yeah. this is how we're going to. And so like, wait, where are we in the journey? But then you real, once you have that preparation, even if you're like, you went way faster or slower than you like anticipated, you still kind of, you don't lose sight of the overall um, journey, yeah. right? And sometimes I, yeah, sometimes I want to at least know where I lost the journey or where I shifted or pivoted. Yeah you know, go back into the plane metaphor, where did I change the longitude, latitude, the directional, <laughs> yeah. like you come back and say, why did I change it here? Like what happened? You know, did, did someone have to come off the project? Did a policy change? Did a community member, you know, have to cancel, you know, their participation in a session? Like what happened so that I can right. say, okay, next time, how might I um, anticipate that differently, build it into, you know, community right lines build it into the budget so that but I I you know ask anybody on my team I'm constantly drawing because I just want to see where we are in our goals and where they happen so that the next time we're like this was the point where this broke okay what's the strategy now um oh cool you're kind of like mapping out your own user journey yeah all the time all the time like let's visualize our own thing because this this is our so much of our accountability for ourselves is in our process. We're known for our materials and they're incredible materials, but we pride ourselves on the way that we made them is, is really what we want to be talking about. Of course, the thing you're holding in your hand is effective and beautiful, but it is because of the way we made it. And so the, the more, the better we can be at visualizing how we make the things um, and, 
and where that diagonal thing started to shift, we can say, okay, next time, this is where it's going to go. Um, or let's try, let's see what that looks like. Um, yeah. Yeah. I love that you talked about kind of that, like self and team chicken in the beginning of the journey and kind of to assess your positionality, almost like going in. And I, something that we often like bring up to anybody who wants to get into like design research, right. That, we all have that and especially if you're gonna um do research with communities that have been chronically like misserved right like how do you create that honorable journey yeah because it is i think we've heard a lot of times in our in our sessions it was either the first time somebody was asked about this it was the first time somebody understood where their participation could live and mm. I think when we, you know, we're in the business of increasing participation and ideally meaningful participation. So to think that somebody traveled from another borough, got on a subway to talk to me about something hard or something that they rely on, right? It's like, I always, I'm like, what do I rely on? Uh, I have a lot of resources in my life, just given the privileges that I've been afforded or, you know, inherited. And I'm just like, we all look into shit. (laughs) We all look into problems when we don't have something. And it's so often that I think I've been in conversations with designers when it's like, when is the last time you didn't have something? You know, when is the last time? And, and it was, and it was really critical, right? And you were like scrambling for information and you were sharing your story with somebody and you weren't sure that they could even do anything like using that constantly to be like, okay, how am I going to hold myself in this conversation? Because I don't, I am not missing what it is I'm advocating for in this project. Usually I'm not housing right. secure. Um, and so I'm mindful of like our stake in the room is quite different. And so I need to hold myself in relationship with that, with the difference in that stake. They need something that I currently don't need, but I'm saying I want to help secure that need. And so how do I need to position myself differently in this room to, yeah, to, yeah, to get that we have something different at stake. And I and there's just a sensitivity I need to have because we are in different positions, but I, yeah. I have to help or just- And to- potentially don't like get triggered by any of the conversation, right? And like yeah. remain impartial. And um, it's funny, like I often kind of like talk about, you know, we could like now, for example, if I- um, listen in on a co-creation session let's say with like a working mom going through like uh, challenges that's kind of extra triggering for me like I I tear up and so I'm like there's like I'm not I should be in a room of like that right like I kind of really it's really something topics because of something in our lives or where we are at in our own personal journey uh, becomes more sensitive and I think Um, We need to be very much aware of that to not have that kind of like cloud over the process. And you talked about the process so much. And I definitely agree. Cup has like these beautiful outcomes that anybody I share with like love and all students I share would also very much benefit from. Um, But I think they also reflect how much uh, you hold yourselves accountable and how much care there is in the process. Um, which is typically the, uh, you know, not so sexy part to talk about. Like everybody wants that like (laughs) shiny outcome, right? Like, let me see the final outcome. Let me see the render. Let me see the pamphlet. Let me see something. But But all those nuances, all the juice is in the process. And I wish there was like 
we had to make like the storytelling on my like, process like very sexy I think for really those like educational uh, opportunities I find like I I wish I could talk about the process more or that it was easier to like show it in some you know synthesized sort of way because we you know we can only make so much work and so right. only so many people can participate in those projects but I I find the process to be so extraordinary because it's simultaneously full of limitations and possibility and it's only in the making of that do you do you start to see you're like oh my god we're like imagining and then this image can do this thing and then this person can give feedback on that thing so that we can make sure this is accurate so that you know and so there's so much possibility in the process where it's like once you made something there's no longer possibility in that poster <laughs> other than how somebody uses it so all your possibility kind exactly. of closes but the process itself is so there's so many opportunities to live out our values in that process and to ask more of ourselves, to ask more of other people and to, there's just so much growth in the process itself because only then can I say I showed up intentionally. Only then can I say I prepared my facilitation in a way to be more dignified, more respecting of what I'm about to hear. Like I can't do that just alone by holding the, the poster, you know? And so- yeah. I love talking to people about how they do their stuff because it's usually where you see, feel, hear, you know, values really at practice and and the work of relationships, the possibility of relationships and practice. And so it's like, I sometimes I go to workshops just to watch people facilitate because I'm just so curious. <laughs> I don't even need to know what they're teaching me. I'm just so curious yeah. how they're doing it because so much change happens between two minds, five minds, seven minds in yeah. a circle, in a relationship, in a dialogue. And I find that process to be so magical. That's what gives me the most like excitement about our work. It's beautiful. I love it. I have all the posters in my house, but how we made it is, ooh, I see an advocate, you know, at a party or in an event, or they come to our benefit. And I'm like, yeah, Oh my God, amazing idea. Oh God, you're so good at your job. Like I just get so excited because I'm like, I have just I just have a completely different respect and understanding of somebody. And and that I take through all of my work. I'm like, I get to know people again for nine months. This is amazing. Like, what are you gonna tell me? And it's just, I yeah, love that. Yeah. It's so I love nice. That. Yeah. And I love that to your point, like that fluid journey that is malleable to like change versus like that final outcome that's out there out into the world now and that journey could change both to your like own design but also to what you mentioned earlier like all of these external factors that is out of your control and how yeah. do you um, prepare or adapt to that I honestly I read recently again the art of war just as like analogous like you know research yeah, yeah. <laughs> like I feel like okay that's <laughs> we feel like we're in right now let's like look at some like analogy let's here see what and, that means. Yeah. yeah and then basically it was like talking about you know you can never plan for war you can only prepare for all scenarios yeah. and yeah. that's so true especially in the world we live in today right like there's so much volatility and um that exercise you gave in the beginning of okay what could happen what if this happens what if that happens like that what if scenarios that you throw out there and see how you might adapt or respond to those uh, and then realizing, oh, yeah, we talked about this. We're there now. Like, what do we do? And kind of like responding to that, like that journey is um, both like the 
methods itself that you're like implementing, but also anything that comes as an external factor uh, that's impacting that journey. I think navigation, all of that, navigating all of that is just really cool. Um, even though on days, like it's painful. Oh, it's <laughs> so days, painful. Like, yeah. <laughs> and like nothing hurts me more than when I come up against my own limitations, right? And I, and I am the problem, right? Like I need to change my mindset. I need to reorganize my time. I need to, cause I'm like, oh, I'm in the way of myself or I'm in the way of my project or, you know, I'm in the way of my partnership, you know, whatever that might be. But I also like people who are close to me are like, oh, you, you do a lot of worst case scenario thinking. And I usually do a lot of worst case scenario thinking because I want to ask myself how how would I want to show up in this moment and then go up back into my life and say okay every day is not going to be like the blowout conflict I think could happen but every day yeah. is all version of conflict and so every moment's like a, an opportunity to practice so I do worst case scenario thinking so that when we get into the project and I'm like okay somebody has to cancel that the policy has to change our designers having a hard time okay how would I want to handle that? So once I have it, I'm like, okay, I had plans A, B, and C of how I wanted to, what feels appropriate right now. But I've already kind of done the work of saying, if our values as an organization are X, these are all of the things I would be willing to do. These are the things I wouldn't be willing to do so that I'm just a little bit more prepared. I can't plan right. for it, like I said, but I can say, okay, we want a community engaged process. We want to be you know, have an integrity driven process. Where can we bend? Where can we not bend? Um, yeah. Sometimes I'm like, am I anxious or am I prepared? I can't <laughs> Probably both. Probably both. But I, I do like it because it, it shows me when, when our values might be tested, when our values might be affirmed and then gives me a little bit more of a pathway to say, okay, I th kind of thought about this before. This is a testing. Yeah. How will I bend? How will I not bend? Um, yeah, yeah, but everything I mean, you handle it very gracefully, so it's fine. I appreciate that because <laughs> <laughs> it, it feels like every day is a small exercise. And I will, well, I give, bet. Us, give us an example, give us like maybe one case study, um, so that we kind of like bring it home, like all like yeah. the many challenges we were like talking about and all beautiful outcomes and nuances into like a real story. Um, so it can be related to anything, whichever you feel would be the best fit. Well, we have, I think we've, you know, without, you know, kind of getting in too many details about the project, just because we're still working on it. I think a lot of the times where we're bending is the nature of the community engagement. Mm -hmm. you know, our ideal is always a room where there's a group of people and we have, you know, an hour and a half together and ideally there's food and, you know, it's a slow and intentional process. Sometimes we can't do that. Sometimes it's, we need to schedule a series of phone calls and then we need to synthesize in a different way. And we need to ask ourselves for more time. We need to ask our partners for more time. Sometimes, you know, during the height of the pandemic, we were sending people JPEGs via text message and you know, asking folks, send me a voice memo, draw on that picture. Like it was just any way that that could happen. And at some point, at multiple points, we've had to say, okay, we've tried to engage these 20 people. Some people don't want to engage in this topic. They don't want to share their experience. Some people do, but they have these other constraints. We usually set a goal of talking to, you know, at least 15 to 25 people. You know, we budget to compensate about 15 to 25 people in every project. And 
you know, we've definitely had projects where like, we've only talked to eight and we're like, mm -hmm. do we, think we've learned enough to say that this project could support a range of experiences. And, you know, we're there with our partners and we're looking at their capacity and we're looking at our capacity and we're looking at the need for this information. And we're like, is eight enough? Uh, and so, right. you know, we'll go forth and with however effective that can be with the eight that we have. And sometimes eight's like, oh my God, this is amazing. This was the hardest topic. I can't believe eight people, you know, were willing to talk mm -hmm. to me about their experience with incarceration, like, holy. Um, and then other times we're like, wow, 25 people showed up and that's incredible. Wow. Like this is what it looks like when our partner is able to do this and we're able to do that. We have the money for that. But I think the the type of community engagement and the quantity of that, you know, to see if we're picking up on patterns, if we're picking up on enough shared insights, we're always bending there and getting creative before we like throw in the towel, before we say like, okay, we can't do community engagement right now. Um, right. This is happen it's asking too much of people and then we have to be like okay if I asked again would that be inappropriate um mm. so yeah I think there are definitely those times where we're bending and then I think this isn't so much something I have thought enough about but it's very much a question on my mind about like what types of participation in a design process is meaningful to people um, cause we're not going to assume that everybody wants to become someone who can draw, wants to become someone right. who can facilitate, like they have their job, they have their family. We're trying to get something done that impacts them, but to assume that they want all types of influence and all types of projects, therefore they'd have, they would make all this time to even be compensated plus live their own life. I've been asking myself lately of like, of all the ways someone could participate, I want to learn more about what types of participation in a design process are interesting and meaningful to people um, so that we know what skills are we trying to build? Because sometimes that's also a challenge of like, did they want to be engaged not in a conversation? Like, did they want to be here at a different point in the project? Um, you know, before we got hired to do the project. Um, so that's also just like a challenge that's been on my mind of asking people, do you want to come back? Like, would you like to come to another community session? Do you not? Why not? Like, so. Right, right, right. It happens too. Right. I mean, yeah, I think any organization that really does thoughtful work and puts so much um, intention into their process, I think that like personal relationships and um, cultivating those relationships, are those are done with like very much extra care. Um, you know, in corporations, you could easily see like a focus group done and then zero contact in between. And, I, and then like, oh, hey, we're back. Do you want to test this out now? And then just like asking people a bunch of sterile questions in a sterile room and then just leave. And it's done with so much um, insensitivity that there is like no wonder there's also a lot of um, distrust and trauma in that relationship. So it's kind of upon then organizations like you to really nurture that relationship and honor their time and the relationship you have and respect all the challenges and um, kind of uh, positions that might be, they might have on the topic and um, which is why we very much need organizations like you and which is why like all corporations should partner <laughs> with organizations like you. Um, well, I appreciate that. I, I do want to share one more yeah. thing that happened yeah. to um at a community session for a similar for the same project that I have in mind where 
you know, we identify as facilitators who are then making work. And, you know, we're art directing that work and we're writing that copy. But there was one session um, with uh, some housing residents where they were like, okay, we know why this project's being made, but who are you? Like, why are you making this? Like, what's your stance on this? And we don't usually share a stance on the issue as like a full organization. More so we share a stance on, we think you should be able to have meaningful influence, meaningful participation, but there are times where that reciprocity feels and is necessary for a community to say, okay, I'll tell you this, but can you tell me what you think about this issue? Because then what are you going to do with my information, right? And that's also them understanding, well, where do your values lie? Because if you're going to interpret what I'm saying against those or, you know, in, in service of those, I want to know who has my story, who has my insights, who has my knowledge. And so there've definitely been a few times where we had to prepare ourselves to be like, do we have a stance? And we want to come respectfully ready to articulate that because if I'm asking them for theirs, I kind of want to have ours. (laughs) Right. No, it's so true. We want this experience to be human, right? Otherwise it's like no different than a robot, like just coming up and asking a lot of questions. And also like, imagine like if we think about like a different setting, right? Like we would vent about all our problems much more in a group of like friends Versus yes. like a group of people where where they might judge our uh, venting, you know, like I think people just want to be able to not only just like freely express themselves among people that are kind of like minded, but also they don't trust probably facilitators who have yeah. interpreted their um, feedback in all sorts of con- self-serving ways and or they never resulted in an outcome. Yeah. And I think that's another thing for like, when I think about that diagonal tilting back and forth, you know, based on like whose perspective we're working from, if I'm going to make a compromise, if I'm going to represent something in a certain way, I I need to know why. Um, And then that why against like, who is that serving? Who is that for? Um, And am I okay with that? Because maybe I'm not. And then it's like, okay, well, what is that telling me? I'm not okay. Am I going to go put that out into the world? Or if I am okay, why am I okay? Um, so I think those are all really, when I think about challenges, really important questions for designers to be asking themselves all throughout their career. Why am I okay with this? Why am I willing to do this? Am I going to articulate that this is why I did this? Can I tell them why this is why I did this? Can I ask them what they think about, you know, the fork I'm at? Or, um, I think sometimes those are the things that we also have really big challenges with, um, of, of navigating that representation and navigating the constraints of a project and, you know, the access and the asks that come with that. But I don't, even if I don't like my answer, I don't want to stop asking myself, why am I okay with this? Why am I not okay with this? And and have that inform what I do moving forward. Um, Because it's easy not to ask and to say like, oh, well, that's just the job. That's the constraint. You're like, okay. And I should admit to myself that I'm bending some way. Um, At least to know and hold myself accountable to a time where I don't want to bend again um, and feel, feel prepared to advocate to a funder or to a partner be like, no, I've seen that bend before and it's, it's not good and it's going to go against right. me. So I need, right. more, I need more time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so true. Yeah. And so powerful. Um, okay. Last question before I ask for a piece of advice from you, if like, let's imagine a world 
where community engagement was done very well and at scale. <laughs> How would that look like? It's a very hard question, but yeah, dream like your ultimate, your ultimate dream. Share, share that with me. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Dream the ultimate dream. Um, I'll just take like the, the scale of like a neighborhood and then assume that what I'm describing oh, yeah. is because I feel like my brain is like, Bleh. but <laughs> I do, I think when I think about our work and any flyer on the street, any material that's ever been made, any form of access information, you know, is that if a neighborhood has all the skills, gifts, and capacity that it needs, there are designers there, there are architects there, there are doctors there, there are teachers there, you know, everything that we know goes into making an incredible neighborhood and, and they get to do that themselves um, with their own unique capacities and interests, right? You know, the doctor comes to the meeting, the teacher has the ability to come to the meeting where the designer who grew up in that neighborhood can show them what was made, show them how they're, how he's thinking about representing his neighbors, show her, them, how they're thinking about, you know, their neighbors and these issues. But I think all of those interdisciplinary skills live there. Yeah, I think often it's, I'm not being compensated. I don't have the capacity. I don't have the resources. And so when I think of community engagement, it is, you know, at a neighborhood scale times, however many neighborhoods we have, you have everything that you need to do what you need to do. And you get to enjoy the beauty of knowing that everybody in your neighborhood contributed to it in like a healthy, compensated um non-burdensome way you know but we're making our visions we're working with the people we trust and love who have same similar stakes as us and and we're doing that in ways that mean something to us right not everybody wants to be an illustrator not everybody wants to be a designer so come with the skill you have come with the insight you have but trust that I will do right by this um, because I want to do right by you because you are me you are my neighborhood you are my family you are my so I I think it would be cool if, if that worked. Um, and not to say that, people, that, yeah, from other neighborhoods and we can't find ways to support each other, even if we weren't from places, um, but to always have the option that you could, you know, hire the neighbor, you could hire the person who watched you grow up, you could have the things that you needed, um, I think would be nice. <laughs> I mean, that's an incredible vision. Let's imagine we will reach there someday and you're at the kind of like pushing that vision right onto um, neighborhoods. I mean, authentic community engagement starts with empowering communities. It calls for increasing sense of belonging, ownership, which takes time and resources and um, respect and understanding of each other. It takes community, like the investing time in communication and listening, like a lot of listening. Um, and you're enabling all of that. You're creating a platform for that. So, um, yeah. So I'll, I'll, um, I'll, I'll, I'll put this like our manifestation like board for, uh, for cups like. Craze for like neighborhoods. I would love that. I think I'll, I'll just end that being like communities have for so long taken care of themselves, but what's always gotten in the way of that is the lack of resources, the lack of power distribution, the barriers, the unnecessary challenges, but they've always been equipped to take care of themselves. They just haven't been um, allowed to in a lot of ways or, or given yeah. what they needed to in a lot of ways. And I, I think that would be pretty great. <laughs> 
all across the board. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. Well, this was amazing as you kind of like shared everything with like kind of the challenges, but what can be a comeback to that. So it was like a packaged way of like talking about like um, challenges with the opportunities that they might uh, allow for. Um, as a last question for anybody who wants to push for progress in whichever field that they're in, what would be your advice to them? Um I always come to the individual because we have the most power within ourselves. And so if uh, your teachers are asking you to reflect on your values, if people in your life are asking you to reflect on your values, um, just take a hard look at them. What are you willing to do to defend them? How are you regularly cultivating them? Uh, are you willing to question them and where they come from? So much, I think, of of my work over the years as like, a designer, a white person, a woman who's wanted to work in social justice has come from receiving that feedback every single time, being accountable to that feedback as best as I possibly can. And just asking myself with each year, what am I willing to do to, to redistribute, to share, to, to take feedback, to be checked, <laughs> you know? So <laughs> as a designer, if you want to be doing certain work, you won't always have the same stake. You won't, always have that lived experience. It doesn't mean you don't have something to contribute, but it does mean your positionality should be informed. So, you know, do right by the work that you want to do and 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 check yourself first and, and be willing to continue to check yourself because um, we have a lot of important work to do with a lot of incredible people. Um, and most of that work starts with ourselves. So, yeah. I love that. So real. Everything starts with ourselves. So thanks for bringing us back there. Pilar, this was such a treat. Oh, I good. can talk to you for hours. Thank you so much for inviting me. This was really nice. It's it's cool. It's good to to get out of our work heads sometimes and just share with other people what we're thinking about. So I appreciate the chance. Oh no, thank you so much for coming. And we'll talk to you soon and hey. keep us posted on the great work you do. Awesome, awesome. Thanks, Pinar. Bye everybody. Bye. <laughs> And that is this week's episode of What's Wrong With The Podcast. To make sure you never miss an episode, subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any other podcasting platform. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel. Links can be found in the episode description, and you can also find them on our website, podcast.whatswrongwith.xyz. If you found value in the show, we would appreciate if you could rate us and leave a review, or you can simply tell your friends about us. For more details on our guests, follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Don't forget to join us next week. Thank you for listening.